I don't believe in aliens. Yeah. I don't believe in ghosts. I right. just, and, and the reason that this is different than the resurrection of Jesus is that for you to say that you saw something like a UFO, that could actually be advantageous to you. Like it could make you some money or book get deal. you some book deal, get you on TV. People will think you're interesting. But with the disciples, that claim will get you killed. This is Pastor John. Hey, this is Pastor Tim. This is the Every Moment His podcast, and Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And he better be risen because if he's not, then... What are we um, doing? What are we doing? Yeah, we should yeah. pack up. <laughs> we should do something else. <laughs> I know. Yeah. We, should, we should do something else with our church building, you know? We should get brunch on Easter. Make a good gymnasium, maybe. Yeah. So we're here talking about the question... Uh, was Jesus really raised from the dead? And we're going to do this in two parts. And we could do like 20 parts to this because Probably. there's so much to talk about. And it's worthy too of, of 20 parts, I'd say. I think so. Maybe 50. We could just start a whole new podcast. Yeah. Called, called the Resurrection Christ of Jesus. Christ is Risen. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, in the Easter season here, we want to talk about this question of, was Jesus really raised? And that's a really important question because... Some historical questions are not really all that important. Um, yeah. Like if how Alexander the Great died, yeah, don't really care. Might make for a good Discovery Channel, History Channel program, but not going to change my life. Yeah, exactly right. Or, you know, what, what certain presidents, presidents did in their childhood, whether or not they chopped yeah. down cherry trees. Stuff like that. Yeah. But whether Christ was risen, I mean, that, that's big. Because he made a lot of claims. The church makes a lot of claims about who he is. And he is the one who will judge the living and the dead and give life. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we need to know, is this the real deal? Because if it is, it demands everything. Yes. And, and I think, you know, it validates all of Christ's teachings. And this is important, too, I think. If, if Christ's teachings were really like vanilla, you know, like, yeah, you guys should, you know, try to... You should just be nice. Be nice. Come on, guys, be nice. <laughs> if that was the message, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, I wouldn't say. But because his teachings mm -hmm. and his claims were so uh, divine, you know, either divine or crazy. Yeah, like take up your cross, follow me, mm -hmm. and deny yourself, yeah. love me more than mom and dad, you know, wife was, or children. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Or I was, I was reading when Jesus is having it out with the Pharisees, you know, and he just says some incredible things. You know, when he's being questioned, before his death by the, the Jewish leaders, he, he's asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God coming into this world, the Blessed One? And mm -hmm. he says, I am. And you'll see me coming in clouds of judgment <laughs> yeah, so and with power and glory. Whether he was raised from the dead, I would say, is the most important historical question. And what you do with that is so incredibly important. So uh, let's get at it. Obligatory dad joke. <laughs> Got to get that out of the way. All right, all right, all right. So uh, someone uh, came inside, and it was real cold outside. And they mm -hmm. said, oh, man, it's really chilly out there. And the dad said, well, you know what they say, chilly today, hot tamale. <laughs> it's, a, it's a food and weather joke. <laughs> okay. okay. I, 
<laughs> it, you know what? That one just kills in New Mexico. Okay, okay. well, not in Nebraska. I guess not. <laughs> nope. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna look at this, and uh, maybe to get in, I I just want to give a quick story. Um, when I was in Thunder Bay, I was uh, preaching Easter, um, I believe, or I was preaching a, a funeral. I can't remember, but I was talking about the resurrection of Jesus as the hope of Christians. And after the church service, I got into a conversation with a man who uh, had been a part of the church at one point in his life, but really didn't see him much except for Easter. Mm. But I knew him, his wife very well. She was a leader in the church. And I just asked him, you know, what do you think about this being raised from the dead thing? What do you think about uh, this claim of Jesus? Just, just asked him over coffee. And he said, you know, I, I just think that's something we say to make ourselves feel better. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I, now that I'm saying it, I think it was at a funeral. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that is a, a really, first of all, it's a very honest thing for him to say. Uh, but second, I just thought, ah, oh, it just kind of gutted me because yeah. if Christ is not raised from the dead, then all of this is in vain. You know, like if we're just trying to find something to make ourselves feel a little bit better as we suffer, that is really a sad state of affairs. And so I, we're not saying that anyone listening has that particular view, but I'm sure you felt the winds of that view. Yeah, and I would say that even maybe some of our listeners may have kind of grown up thinking, yeah, I kind of hope the resurrection's mm-hmm. true. But deep down, you might think, but, you know, you just got to have faith, right? Yeah, right. So we don't really need hard evidence. We don't right. really need to piece through it. And, you know, maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't. We're going to say it because it's... I mean, I I guess, sure. I mean, Yeah, sounds good. Sounds better than anything the else. alternative, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we don't want that. We want to have a, a firm, grounded, yep. confident faith, you know, where we're going to profess this before men, before mm-hmm. opposition. We want to yeah. have that. And how do you get that? You really do have to dig down. You have to establish those roots. And you got to know some stuff. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, today, I think we're going to talk more about what were the early Christians claiming in the New Testament and uh, what are maybe some alternative explanations for these claims. And then next episode, we're going to get really deep into uh, some of those Uh, claims uh, that are made to explain uh, some historical facts that we just can't get away from. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so. All right, so today, what exactly are the Gospels claiming for us, Pastor John? So uh, the Gospels are claiming two things. They're claiming that the tomb was empty and that Jesus appeared to his followers, over 500 of them, after he was raised uh, during the 40 days after his resurrection. And Um, What's interesting about this is that nobody expected this to happen. Uh, You get this in the Gospels that like Jesus tells them about, you know, he will be crucified, he will be raised, and they just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, And and part of this is historical. If we we go back and we study the beliefs of uh, first century Judaism, which Jesus would have shared these beliefs, there was an expectation that, that on the last day, on the day of judgment, mm-hmm. when all of history wraps up, uh, God will raise the dead, and he will raise all the dead, and he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. So there, 
there was that tradition in Judaism that eventually there will be a resurrection. Right, but nobody expected this to happen to one person ahead of time, Yeah, which is what happened in Jesus. And so this resurrection would have been something that, well, that's what happens at the end of history. Mm-hmm. So nobody expected it to happen on Easter morning. So when Jesus was crucified and put cold and dead into the tomb, and the women come that early Easter morning, they're coming to anoint the body, mm-hmm. which they couldn't complete because of the Sabbath. And they're not looking for an empty tomb. They're looking for a corpse. And so they, they may expect at this time that um, at the very last day that they might see Jesus again. Yeah, just like um, uh, it was either Mary or Martha says to Jesus about Lazarus, we know that he'll rise from the dead yeah. at the resurrection. Uh, and Jesus says, but I am the resurrection and the life. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, but nobody expected that he would be raised. And so the scene that you get in the Gospels is confusion. Right. So they show up and the tomb is empty. They're not sure what's going on. In Mark's gospel, which you preached on this Easter, the women flee in terror. <laughs> right. And then in John's gospel, you get uh, sometime after the women, you get uh, John and Peter who come and we're told that they look in the tomb and they see things that they just don't understand that don't make sense to them. And we'll talk about that a little bit later when we talk about the empty tomb. But the big thing to understand is that nobody expected Jesus to be raised. It's not like the disciples kind of whipped up the story Mm -hmm. afterwards. It was not even on the radar theologically. Yeah, pretty much the only person talking about it was Jesus, right? He was like, guys, I'm going to be dead and then I'll be raised. Right. And no one really took that to account. In fact, that's why after Jesus was crucified... We read in the Gospels that uh, the disciples are behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders because they thought, well, Jesus got crucified. What's going to happen to us? And so right off the bat, we can just say um, this was not a premeditated plan. No, no. Because even the insiders were clueless. Right. Okay. Well, that's a good start. But now let's talk about Paul because not only did Paul, who, you know, we know him earlier as Saul, a Pharisee, right? Um, I remember reading the Bible for the first time as an early Christian and just being so surprised. I did not know. I had heard about Paul, but I didn't know that Paul was a Pharisee and opposed Mm -hmm. to Christ. That Mm -hmm. blew my mind. He not only uh, did not expect Jesus to be raised, we don't even really know what his knowledge was of Jesus before uh, encountering him on the road to Damascus, he didn't want it to be true, and mm-hmm. he was persecuting the church and putting people in prison and striving against that proclamation of the resurrection. And yet something happened to Paul. Even critical atheist historians and scholars admit that Paul had some kind of experience that has to account for uh, what we read in Acts, but also more closer to the event, what we read in Paul's letters, Galatians, mm-hmm. uh, Philippians. So he totally switched teams, right? He, was, he did. <laughs> and, and so you could say he was a Pharisee, right? Yeah. He, was, he had a he lot was to lose. well-educated, that's right. I mean, he had a lot to lose socially yeah. 
religiously, like we just heard in the Palm Sunday reading this past week, that many of the authorities would not confess Jesus openly because they feared they'd get put out of the synagogue. Right. And here you have Je- uh, uh, Paul, who was very high up in the synagogue. He's a Pharisee, and it cost him much, but eventually it cost him his own comfort and even his life. And so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we began this, this uh, podcast by saying that if Christ wasn't raised, we should find a different job. Yeah. But Paul really meant that like in the fullest sense of like, guys, I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been cast out of yeah. relationships, I've been stoned. I I've fought been, wild beasts. Yeah, all yeah. these things. He's like, if Christ wasn't raised, feel sorry for me because <laughs> I'm a loser, you know? Yeah, so it totally took him by surprise. The yeah. news, the appearance of Jesus, he thought he was on God's side doing God's work. Yep. And then, boom, uh, here's Jesus. Surprise, Paul. Guess what? Now you're on my team. And yep. I'll show you how much you're going to suffer, he says, yeah, for my right, name. Right. And so really, uh, the whole New Testament exists because of the resurrection. You mm. cannot account for the New Testament and the early church uh, apart from the resurrection. And at the very least, that those who wrote the New Testament, they believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that it happened. It wasn't just happy thoughts, right? Right. And it wasn't a scheme, or it wasn't a planned religious thing where it's like, yeah. okay, gosh, that was our guy, but now he's dead. It's like, no, when he was dead, they were all saying, we're done. Yeah. And then he a- came And back. that's a good point is that, that Jesus wasn't the first one thought to be the Christ, mm. that there were people who were thought to be the Messiah and they were killed. And when that person was killed, the leftover disciples, if they weren't also killed, would say, okay, who's our guy, mm-hmm. who's the next in line, or maybe we need to look for the next Messiah because we missed it, obviously. What they never did was said, well, maybe he's still with us. Yeah, maybe he'll rise. Yeah, again. maybe he's risen. Okay, yeah. so, so just that setup, we can, we can at least say, man, something interesting happened here Yeah, uh, that took everybody su- by surprise. Even the religious insiders didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So the, let's go back to those claims of the New Testament. Uh, they really believed that the tomb was empty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and this is the witness of the Gospels. Uh, all four Gospels give us this account. New Testament's continually talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that would be pretty easy to disprove if you wanted to. Yeah, in itself, the empty tomb is interesting, but it's not, it's not a slam dunk. Okay. And, but there are some really interesting things that we have to take note of. Um, so the Gospels are clear that the women are the first ones on the scene. They find the tomb empty. Then later, the disciples, Peter and John, um, of course, they did not expect the tomb to be empty. Uh, and when it was empty, their first thought was not resurrection. They did not say Christ is risen. They said Christ is missing. Mm. <laughs> so think about uh, Mary, Mary, for example, in John mm-hmm. 20, she's in tears saying, where have you taken him? They think that they moved the body. Somebody moved the body. Right. And there may have been this thought of grave robbery because we know that grave robbery was a problem 
and we have inscriptions in the you know first century Roman world saying on penalty of death, <laughs> you know, don't uh, tamper with graves. Mm. So tell tell us a little bit about the women. You know, we think not much of that, but why would why would that be an interesting fact to know that the first witnesses to the resurrection were women? Yeah. So um, unfortunately. The, the truth about the first century Roman world, Greco-Roman world, and to some extent the, the uh, Jewish world, was that uh, the witness of a woman would not hold up in court. And so this is pre-women's you know women's suffrage. Uh, things were different back then. And so uh, a woman's testimony would not hold up in court. Okay, so if I'm following you, if you wanted to start a hoax or, uh, or uh, fool people into, into thinking that... Or even fool yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> into thinking that Jesus was raised from the dead, you would not bring women to testify about that because it would be immediately dismissed. No. And the thing about the Gospels is they're not really written the way that we would do it. So, mm. for example, if you were going to uh, construct a story about the resurrection, you might say... Oh, uh, you know, Peter was there, or John was there, or James was there. One of these apostle guys were there. And, and maybe even you'd say, and they saw him raised. Mm-hmm. In fact, we have uh, the Gnostic Gospels, the kind of secret Gospels, which are actually written like Much second, later. third century. And they're also weird. <laughs> if you read them, you can tell the difference between them and the, the four that we have that were written much earlier. Uh, these kind of false gospels, these Gnostic gospels, uh, which, you know, make for great programs on the History Channel with mm-hmm. really bad scholarship. <laughs> they every, always draw on the year. fringe people, you yeah, know, to, right. as the experts. But um, the, those, one of those gospels, I think the Gospel of Peter, uh, claims that has this scene of Jesus, you know, bursting out of the tomb. Mm-hmm. And, and it, we just don't get that in the gospels because it's not told the way we would have made it up. It's told the way it happened. Mm. And so you get kind of the least trustworthy witnesses, at least in the first century mindset, the women. And what's interesting is if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul lists all the, uh, mm. the witnesses, mm-hmm. he says, and then to Peter, and then to yeah, the 12. he doesn't bring it up. He actually doesn't mention the women. And some scholars think that, that he doesn't do that because he knows it lacks credibility. And yeah, the so Gospels haven't been written yet, likely. I think, is this called an embarrassing admission? Yeah. Well, and, and the Gospels are full of this. The Gospels, yeah. like, the, the, the pillar of the church, Peter, denies Jesus. Right. If I were writing that Gospel, I would maybe want to leave that out. <laughs> well, and I, I think, too, is it uh, in that same scene where Jesus is arrested, it says that there was a young man who fled naked from the scene. Yeah. Right, which is not like you're not the hero of the story if nope. you're fleeing naked, and so nope. it's an embarrassing admission that actually, in retrospect, adds credibility to it. Th- there is, uh, and um, um, Richard Baucom in his book uh, "Jesus and the Eyewitnesses" is really big on this. He shows how um, the Gospels have this kind of painful honesty about the failure and the flaws of the the pillars of the church. Mm-hmm. So imagine if, you know, you wrote something about your pastors, if your pastors were the people who were, you know, who had seen Jesus alive. And if you said, oh, yeah, you know, Pastor Tim denied Jesus and, and they got in an argument about who was the greatest. Yeah. And they were, 
they didn't get it all the time. Yeah, no, if, yeah. if I'm going to make up a religion, I'm definitely going to be way cooler than yeah. the real me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So the women at the tomb is interesting because they would not be the first desirable witnesses. Okay, yeah. so that adds credibility to the empty tomb fact. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do we have? Well, so now we have this question of, did the disciples steal the body? And so, well, the question is, if the tomb's empty, then what happened? If Jesus is not raised, then what happened to the body? And so, well, one thought is maybe the, dis the, the disciples stole the body. And um, this is interesting because this is even brought up in Matthew's gospel, I think in mm. chapter 27, I think. Yeah. And uh, as, as a circulating rumor that was well known. And the question is, first of all, how could the disciples uh, steal the body? Because they're in fear of being crucified and they'd have to break the seal of the tomb and get past the soldiers. Um, why would they, what would be the motivation for stealing the body? I mean, uh, why would they do that? Because once again, that puts them into danger. And then if they did steal the body, why would they go around and proclaim that he's raised at the expense of their own life? Hmm. Because if anybody knew that Jesus was raised, it would be them. And if they stole the body, why would they proclaim that? Right. Um, that would not be convenient. <laughs> I mean, if you're being tortured and thrown in prison, you'd probably say, sorry, we stole the body. <laughs> just yeah. kidding, right? Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a hoax. Yeah. Well, I think, too, in, you know, just a little bit of a factoid there, too, is in Matthew 27, they admit that the, the tomb is empty because they mm -hmm. hear from the soldiers and they bribe the soldiers and they say, tell everyone that the disciples came and stole the body. So they admit that the tomb is empty. Right. Right. Um, and then they use some hush money. Yeah. And then the other thought is that, well, maybe the religious leaders or the Romans did. And, you know, assuming the, the truth of that Matthew 27 statement, you know, it doesn't make sense that they would have taken the body because they were guarding against this and yes. offering hush money. But even if we take Matthew 27 out of the picture for the sake of skeptics, um, you know, like what would their motivation be? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would they do this? Because, and also, if immediately Jesus was being proclaimed as raised, the easiest thing to do would be to procure the body, you know, mm -hmm. assuming they still mm -hmm. had it, to say, guys, come on here. Right. Uh, it's the last thing they would have wanted, right? Because when they got Jesus in the tomb and they crucified him, they like, oh, finally, the guy's off our backs. Yeah, yeah. The other thought is that maybe, you know, grave robbers, grave robbers, but then, you know, John's gospel is very careful to show some really important details. We have to remember that literature back then was not the same as now. Like when you read a novel, uh, we like details. Details were not big back then mm. in writings. Details mattered. And John in his gospel mentions that when they went in and saw the tomb, that the grave clothes were not strewn about or absent like you would expect with a grave mm, robbery. Yeah. Because if you go in and you rob a grave... Ransack it. You ransack yeah. it. Or you, if you're going to steal the body, you're going to take the grave clothes with you. You're not going to unwrap them. And you certainly wouldn't fold them up nice and neat because that's what John says is that they were folded up. Yeah, take the five minutes to really yeah. get the creases right. I'm just going right. to make this a nice, nice, nice little scene. scene before I leave. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and there's other 
I, I think there's a, a slight other nuance to this. Uh, John Dominic Crossan, I think, would say that Jesus's body was just thrown into, you know, a trash heap. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm. But once again, I, I think that then we have to wrestle with the fact that then the disciples saw him alive. And how do we make sense of that? Okay. Um, so that's the next really uh, anchor point we're going to look at today is first, the tomb was empty. It doesn't make sense for anyone to steal the body and stick mm -hmm. with that story. Uh, so that's the first fact that we could say, yeah, historians will admit something happened, that tomb was empty. If it wasn't, uh, this whole Jesus rumor would have stopped real quick. Yeah, right, right. But then we have this, this next claim that Jesus appeared, uh, and, and Paul lays this out clearly in our gospel reading for Easter, or I'm sorry, our epistle reading for Easter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says uh, in chapter 15 that the gospel that he preaches is based on eyewitness testimony um, that he appeared to Peter, that he appeared to the apostles, that he appeared to James, that he appeared finally to me, Paul says, and, and to over 500 brothers. At and he says, some, yeah, at one time. Yeah. And he says something interesting here. He says, some of whom have fallen asleep, but many or most of, of who are still living. And I think he says that because there's cross-examination possibility here. Yeah. That you can, you can talk to these people like we all saw him raised. It's not just an isolated story that Peter said this and it began to spread. But there is mm. this tradition passed on. And the word that Paul uses uh, is that this was passed on to him. Now this is important for a couple of reasons. One is, is that in the ancient world, teaching would be passed down very carefully from one generation to the next. And um, Paul is saying that this was passed on to him and that he passed it on to the Corinthians. Now, the second reason this is important is because it anchors us back in history very mm -hmm. close to the event of the resurrection itself. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians maybe around 55 AD, you know, Jesus was raised, let's say 33 AD. So this is very close proximity. I mean, think, do you remember 9-11? Sure thing. Yeah. You know, um, add a couple years, right? Mm -hmm. But um, there, there's this clear memory of this event. But uh, Paul says that that this thing, this, this witness of the resurrection, and, and the language there is, is the formula of the language is very much that this, everybody knew this formula. They, they knew this mm. list of people. They knew all the witnesses. This was passed down to Paul, and Paul gave it to the Corinthians. Now, if he's referencing it in around maybe 55 AD, that means that he gave it to them. He's reminding them of it, so he gave it to them earlier, so push mm. it back a few yeah, years. Yep. And then he's saying that it was passed on to him. So push it back to sometime after Paul's conversion. And then before that, because it was passed on to him. So do you see that? that yeah, so this is not a new idea, but it's been yes, since the beginning. The doctrine, the solid teaching that Jesus was raised and that he appeared to these people who are all still living and you can still talk to them. This was very early in the history of the church. And what that really blows up is the idea that this was a legend because it takes way longer for legends 
to, to formulate. Mm. So let me think, it, let me try to make a bad analogy. <laughs> but like, say if, um, the difference would be if someone claimed to see a UFO, right? Okay. Someone claimed to see a UFO. And you'd say, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting rumor, right? Mm -hmm. And then that grew by, you know, innuendo on the, on the web or something like that. And then maybe there's a few more people. But what this is saying is, no, 500 people at the same time witnessed this UFO, as well as these other people, all at the same time. That's kind yeah. of a different story. Yeah, like, okay, well, all these people at the that. same time, and then also uh, people in different times and places. And, and I would add a caveat there that one of the things that makes this different than, say, Bigfoot or mm -hmm. UFO, because I'm, I'm a skeptic on that stuff. I don't <laughs> believe in Bigfoot. Kind of interesting shows to watch, but I don't believe in Bigfoot. I don't believe in UFOs. I don't believe... Yeah. Well, I don't believe in aliens. Yeah. I don't believe in ghosts. I right. just, you know, and, and the reason that this is different than the resurrection of Jesus is that for you to say that you saw something like a UFO that could actually be advantageous to you. Mm. Like it could make you some money or book get deal. you some book <laughs> deal, get you on TV. People will think you're interesting. Uh, but with the disciples, that claim will get you killed. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure to not admit this. There's pressure to not admit it. That's why um, Blaise Pascal once said, I believe the witnesses who get their throats cut. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's a really good... That like... You believe the people who say, like, I swear it's real. Like, you can kill me for it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about some of these just really briefly because we're going to go into this more deeply in the next episode. But here are some, some counter arguments against the disciples seeing Jesus raised because he was really raised. So right. one is that they were hallucinating. They were all tripping out on LSD or something. Yeah. Or, yeah, maybe they were just so overwhelmed. Yeah. And then they just all had the same, at the same time, psychological mm -hmm. brain synapses fired Yeah. at the same time. So what's, what's wrong with that idea? Yeah, so they were so overwhelmed with grief that they just missed Jesus so much. And so they just hallucinated, imagined that they saw him. That There's a couple reasons that doesn't work. One is that there's definitely a record of hallucinations, people who hallucinate all the time. Yeah. But there's no record of hallucinations that take place among, you know, multiple people having the same hallucination in different places. And over time. And too. over time, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's difficult to defend. So there's, there's zero psychological evidence of this kind of thing ever happening. Right, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. So um, that one, we can pretty much just rule that out. That's not what happened. Right. Okay, um, what else do we have? Or did they see a spirit, or did they think they saw a spirit? And that one doesn't make sense, briefly put, because the Gospels are very careful to, to show that Jesus appeared to them not as a spirit, but as a, as a, as a bodily human being, mm -hmm. flesh and blood. And so even Jesus says to them, touch me, feel me. I have flesh and bone. Like, yeah. And even in John's gospel, Jesus is eating with them. And so um, the gospels are, are going to pains to show you that this was not just a spirit or a ghost. And then another thing to remember is that, you know, people all the time will say that I've seen a loved one mm -hmm. that's departed. Like, I saw my grandmother. I saw my uncle. They came to me in my sleep. 
But anybody who claims that wouldn't say that because I saw grandma in a dream, she appeared to me as a spirit, that now that her grave is empty, Mm. nobody would say that. Right. Okay. So you still have to deal with the empty tomb. You still have to deal with the empty tomb. Yeah. Because where's the body? Yeah, where's the body? And so they were claiming that Jesus was bodily raised, yeah. not that he would just appear to them kind of like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi appears to right. you know, Luke, you know, as kind of like a translucent image. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a little disturbing to me. But yeah. yeah also Yoda, kind of creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> actually, uh, the worst is uh, Darth Vader, actually. Yeah. <laughs> shows up. Anyway, that's did, Star Wars tangent. Go did ahead. Did they just miss Jesus? That's another one. Okay. And so... Um, this idea that they just missed Jesus and they, they had this collective memory of Jesus and, you know, all these early Jesus followers who were so impacted by his love and his teaching would sit around the campfire and tell Jesus stories. And those Jesus stories would gradually change. This is yeah. Bart Ehrman, by Get the way. a little bit more grand. Bart Ehrman is a, is a well-known New Testament scholar who kind of makes this move that, that gradually the... The story just changed a little bit until all of a sudden we get to the point that maybe 50 years later, we've got Jesus raised. And the problem with that is that, yes, the Gospels were written, uh, you know, later. So um, the dates kind of vary. But um, while the Gospels were written later, we need to remember that they're based on eyewitness testimony that was kind of controlled by a community. Mm. So like if somebody in our community said, hey, on 9-11, only one tower fell, we would be like, what? Yeah. No, we were there. We saw it it on TV. There was two. Um, the, The community controlled these stories and they passed them on very carefully. But I think an even stronger argument is you have to deal with Paul. How do you deal with Paul preaching an established doctrine of the resurrection within 25 years of the resurrection? And also this tradition being passed on to him all the way back to his conversion, which was shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we just have to recognize that this resurrection proclamation was there, the lifeblood of the church even the basis of their two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, in full force, yeah, very early. And so it's not just a evolution of Jesus stories, you know. Yeah, uh, and, and I do think that um, the people who were there, right, so St. John, he didn't die until maybe 90 A.D., something yeah. like that. He's there the whole time. You can go talk to him. Mm-hmm. But again, to persevere and struggle and suffer and be... Uh, ridiculed and thrown out of synagogues and beaten up. Mm-hmm. I think this is, is one of the most strong cases is why in the world would the church continue to flourish and multiply and multiply mm-hmm. uh, if it was just a camp story? Yeah, and why would they even create a story that really didn't fit with their own theological expectations as mm-hmm. first century Jews? Yeah, it, it just, yeah. Well, we'll we'll tackle this more next time, but uh, in summary, um, N.T. Wright, the great scholar, historian N.T. Wright, in his massive book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, a great book. It's 700 pages of just pure fun. Awesomeness, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, he says this. He says, the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances are in themselves interesting. They're noteworthy. 
But when you combine them together, they, they are a solid argument for taking the literal physical resurrection of Jesus very seriously. And the only reason you wouldn't believe that is typically if you don't believe that such things can happen. So we'll tackle that more on the next episode. All right. Very good. See you next time.